All right. We shall get to the Word of God, teaching God's Word. And uh, it's kind of a interesting section that we're at today. What if you uh, thought, if you went to a place and you heard somebody speaking and they called you sinners and they called you double-minded and they told you to be miserable and mourn and weep and whatever laughter you have, wipe it off and don't be joyful. Now what, what would you think if you went to a place to hear somebody speak like that? Well, I hate to tell you, but that's what we have to do today. Because that's what James does here. You can say, James uh, really didn't know how to win friends and influence people, did he? Uh, He didn't practice that, I guess. Somebody didn't tell him about it. So uh, he actually sounds like some Old Testament prophet as he proclaims, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. And everybody flies out of the room, right? This is dealing with heartfelt repentance. Um, Many of the people that James is writing to have become friends of the world. And actually, they were enemies of God in in all actuality, I guess you could say. Um, There is joy and pleasure that we are to have in Christ, but there also is a time for mourning. That sounds like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? And that's what we'll be dealing with on Tuesday night in Ecclesiastes 3. Um, There's a time for this. Well, this particular mourning here that we're talking about today, this uh, um, weeping and being miserable, is um, right in James. And it looks like he just took it right out of Ecclesiastes 3. Now, what we talked of last week was drawing near to God. Drawing near to God. Worshiping God. uh, Pursuing Him. Knowing Him. We love that topic, don't we? And that's what we should be doing. That's that's the whole heart of uh, who we are. We we desire to draw closer to God. We know we're not as close as what we would like. And then we want more and more, right? And uh, so that's, that's what we talked about. And so as we draw near... Uh, we think of that illustration of the priest that would draw near as he was in the temple serving and ministering there. And we draw near as we confess to the Lord. We confess to Him our sins. We submit to Him. Uh, We submit to His will. But even more important than all this is it leads to a loving, intimate relationship with our great God. Fellowship with Him as a true worshiper. That's what we want to be, right? That's what we are. If you're a Christian, you are a worshiper. You are true. Uh, but we want to improve on it. So we're just not to submit to Him being the sovereign Lord, King, majestic King of the universe, the sovereign Lordship that we submit to, but uh, it's really about longing for this inward joy of fellowship with Him. Knowing Him, loving Him, adoring Him, right? That is what it's about. Drawing near to God. And and we as Christians, we're characterized by that. We're characterized that we love God. The very first commandment really comes down to that, doesn't it? Love God. Love Him. Long to fellowship with Him. Because at one time, what were we? We were enemies of God. Um, We hated God. 
really, in actuality, before we knew Him. We were rebels against God, right? We were disobedient. But now we long to know God. Oh, that I may know Him, right? More and more. We want to hear His Word. We want to worship Him. We want to sing to Him. We want to lift Him up high in all of our thoughts. So let's go back to James and let's keep following what he has been saying all the way through and um, we will see today how do we offer that worship? How does it start from the very starting point at salvation and even in our walk, our sanctification? How do we do that? So why don't we all stand and uh, let's read the, the... Fourth command through the tenth command. We've done three of them in the last couple of weeks as we continue on with this mini series. We're gonna we're gonna pick it up actually in verse eight. This is where we were at last week. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. What a promise! Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You for Your commands, which are not burdensome, but they're good because they show us that we need to be closer to You. And in the same time, we are being made into the very image of Christ. And so, as we look at this Word, we pray for a blessing upon it, and that this Word, Your truth, will go out with the power of the Holy Spirit and make meaning in each one of our lives as we listen, really, to Your Word, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. We start at verse 8. Draw near. He'll draw near to you. And then He says, It's just like he takes the hammer and boom, brings it down and says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And that starts off with uh, unbelievers first. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's what they're cleansed. This is the fourth command, as we said. And he's using language here of um, Old Testament. The Old Testament passages that deal with ceremonial preparation to worship God. And you would think of Exodus chapter 30, verse 18. You have the priests who were representing the people. And as they represent the people, they are to be clean before God. You have a tabernacle. And God showed them how the tabernacle was to be built. Gave them instructions. Then gave them the priests. The priests were to wear certain clothes. They were to be clean. And picking up it in verse 18, he says, You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up in smoke a fire sacrifice to the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they will not die and it shall be perpetual statute for them for Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. Aaron representing the priestly family. Uh, But they're to have a laver 
You go into the tabernacle, the first thing that's there is the brazen altar. That's where people would bring their sacrifices. That's as far as the people could go. The sacrifice is now to be made. They would identify with their lamb, for instance, or their goat or the bulls. If they'd put their hands upon that, you think of um, Passover time, or you think of um, other times there was a daily sacrifice going, but people identify with that lamb and there had to be blood shed. A lamb had to be killed. You're identifying with the fact that there has to be blood shed, your sin. And so that is the brazen altar. And then um, their neck would be slit, blood would pour. Uh, next would be, as the priest would minister in that tabernacle, would be the the laver. The laver is where they would wash their hands, wash their feet, as it said here in verse uh, 20 and 21. That was purification. Every time they passed by, they would wash their hands, cleanse their feet. That was on a dirt floor. And as they ministered all day long, they would be continually washing. You know what that represents? We are now priests before the Lord. We have direct access to God because of the cross, because of the brazen altar, because of the Lamb that died on the cross that took away the sins of the world, that took away our sins. Now, we minister daily before the Lord as we are the temple and we have a laver. The laver uh, is Christ also. The cross, the altar, the laver, it's Christ. He's what we wash ourselves with, right? Wash yourselves. You wash yourself by a daily cleansing. Of course, at very first, when you first became a believer, you were justified, you were sanctified. All of this at the same time, but it's an everyday, ongoing thing to keep yourself clean. Washing at the laver. You're the priest ministering. And so, I think it's a, a great analogy that God gave the people back at that time and now because of Christ it's been fulfilled what He did at the cross. And so we're in sanctification period, aren't we? That's what the labor represents. Now, if you go to Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Psalm 24, a great psalm that you're very familiar with. This is about the King of Glory. You guys even know the song, right? The King of Glory came right out of this one. Um, In verse 3 and 4, it says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who can do that? And who may stand in His holy place? Who can do that? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. It says, He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of His salvation. Well, move right on. This is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Selah. Um, Christ is the one who was not sinful. He never sinned. He is the great high priest. He is the one who is perfectly clean. He is the one who ascends into the hill of the Lord. But who else can do that? Well, outside of Christ, nobody. But in Christ... All believers are the ones who do that. The ones who have clean hands and a pure heart. That's how you worship God. And James, I think, is borrowing a lot of Old Testament thoughts here, isn't he? 
when he's talking about cleansing your hands, purifying the hearts, having a humble spirit. Uh, only way our hands can be clean is our hearts be pure through the blood of Christ, through that righteousness of Christ. The word there for um, um, in James four eight cleanse is katharizo. Uh, we get our English word catharsis. Uh, that's easy to find out, right? That's to uh, clean, uh, to to make pure, to purge. That's a cleansing, a catharsis. And so that's what he says. Have a catharsis. Uh, and, of course, we saw how the high priest did that, a cleansing process, and now we see how that uh, we are to do that. When the heart submits to a sovereign Lord with a heart that commits itself to worship a living God and he longs to know Him and love Him, will be moved to the recognition of our own sin. Because when the priest would go in for the sins of the people, before they would do that, they would go for their own sins to be forgiven. And then for the sins of the people. Confession of sin is really part of it. If you were to look in 1 John 1.9, you'll see that that is the thought where he says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, there's that cleansing again, from all unrighteousness. So we have sinned. We go and confess that. Hamalageo just it means to say the same thing. To agree with God that what I'm doing is sinning. And Lord, forgive me. And that's how we can come into the very presence of God, worshiping Him truly. Um, now, he says hands, doesn't he? Cleanse your hands. What's meant by hands? What, what's that? It's a symbol of our, our actions. It's a symbol of our works. It's a symbol of our deeds. It's what we do. It's external. It's the things that are seen outwardly. Okay, the, the next one is going to be the inward. But right here, you know, it's an outward part. You know, it's how one, what one does with his money, what one does with his eyes, his ears, it's his actions that he's doing, uh, activities. Go to First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy two and verse eight. Therefore I want the men in every place lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And of course, you know, we, we can you know lift up our holy hands in a in a physical sense and that, that is definitely a that's a good thing. But when you talk about the holy hands, it's also our lives that are being lived. As we go to the Lord in prayer, we want to have a a clean life, right? Holy actions. And um, that's one thought. And if we think of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, we're talking about our hands, our feet. You know, that's putting the leather to the road, right? Verse 15, Isaiah 1.15. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, Jewish people were familiar, they would do that. You know, physically, he says, I will hide my eyes from you. Now they were, their, see, their ongoing life wasn't right. They would put out their hands and, you know, pray, pray even great wordy prayers, but it wasn't right here in the heart, is what he's saying. 
He says, I'll hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Actual murder or thoughts of murder or um, just the, the, the sinful life that they had. Verse 16, here's the prescription to it all. He says, okay, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. That's when He will listen to us then. And that's, that's confession, isn't it? Recognizing our sin, confessing to Him, that's when He will listen. And uh, so, uh, He talks about the actions in verse 17, Isaiah. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. See, so there's actions. Actions that started with the heart, being doing doing those things. So James is really he's calling us to to purify our lives, to do a spiritual pruning, to be cutting off things that really shouldn't be there. It's a spiritual weeding. You know, you go out in the garden and you, you always continually to weed. Those weeds just keep coming up. You can cut them down one week, and there they are the next week. There they are again. They're always there. You got to just keep at it. I don't think there's you know there's things that you can pour on it and do with it, but still yet they're, they're still going to come up. It's going to be there somehow. But uh, James says first we draw near to God, and then we prune. See, he's already said that, hasn't he? In James, he said, "Draw near to God; I'll draw near to you." And then what he says is, start purging anything that detracts from our focus on being with the Lord. But he doesn't say, get your act together and then God will draw near to you. That's not it at all, is it? It's not our. You can say, well, this sounds like it. It says to do that. But first, if you draw near to God, come confessing to Him, seeing that He's a holy God and that we desire to be purified. Um, it's, it's called mortification, if we want to put it that way. Uh, John Owen used that so much in the Puritans. Uh, killing, cutting off, choking, starving to death sin. That's, that's the idea. Going after the sin that's in our lives and letting Him show them to us. And then we can praise God. We can know God. And we realize that we are righteous because of Christ. It's always Him. And it's for clean hands. So there's the idea of... Cleansing, the idea of getting your hands clean, your lives clean. Cleanse your hands. What's the next phrase? You sinners. See, we're just taking this apart one word at a time, right? Something really simple here. And now he says sinners. Boy, that could be affronting to somebody who doesn't know what that means. But the word is hamartalos. Of course, Amartya, and of course that's always falling short of God. It's used predominantly in the Gospels and it's used in the New Testament. It refers to a hardened sinner. And so first of all, really in the context here, he's pleading to people who think they're believers. They sit in the pews. They are not converted. They're not true Christians. And what he's saying here, you sinners... And so what I'm going to do is spend just a few minutes now to prove that this word sinner here is for the unbeliever. The context that we've had all the way through is that. But then we apply it to us also, right? 
But when you interpret, you want to interpret rightly. You want to use the rules. Who is he talking to? What it's about? What has he already said before? And where is he going? First of all, I'm going to be showing that basically he's meaning people who are not true believers. They think they are. Um, In the Gospels, Jesus hung around with certain people. Tax collectors and sinners. Sinners. That was people that were not believers. Um, These are people that um, their standards of morality were very low. They were very immoral people. They were very open about being bad. I, I, I stand here today and I will tell you, I am bad. Dennis Houghton is bad. Uh, John Piper, on, one time they had it all over YouTube, you know, and he was saying, I am bad, I am bad. Somebody put it in a song, you know, and put it a, a, a jam type thing, you know, and I am bad, I am bad. <laughs> and you see one guy keeps saying that, and you go, wow, that's kind of, what, what did he do? Uh, but we know that we are inwardly. But we're talking about people that did outward things and, and everybody knew it. Jesus hung around with them. But He knew that they needed the Gospel. I came to call not the righteous, but the sinners. Um, look in Psalm one one. You all know this one. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. So you've got a righteous person, one who's righteous in Christ, the Messiah, and then you have another person who is what? A sinner. It's not that we don't sin, I I know that, as Christians. But first of all, I don't really see in the New Testament where we are ever called a sinner. That's not our nature anymore. But we do sin. We are to confess. So, you know, I don't want to get to just a straight technicality. but and, and it may be, but at the same time, God calls these sinners the ones who are um, the wicked. They're the, the scoffers. Look in verse 5, chapter 1. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will fall. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You have two people. The sinners... The righteous. God looks at us through the glasses that stain with blood. We are covered with the blood of Christ's righteousness. And He no longer sees us as sinners. Our nature is not that. Do we still sin? Yes. But who are these? These are wicked who have not yet trusted Christ. Maybe some of them will become believers too, right? But they're sinners. If you let's just trace through the Old Testament. Several verses to go to. Look in Genesis thirteen, verse thirteen. Now the men of Sodom are were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So we know about Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, those people were sinners, right? <laughs> They're wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Uh, let's go to Psalm 51.13. This is David's confession. Uh, 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. This is where David is confessing his sin, the sin he had with Bathsheba. A year later it's brought to him by Nathan the prophet, and then he brings forth that confession of sin. He was wilting away, wasting away for that year. And then he comes confessing to God. And and then he says, then when he confesses this, he says, then I'll then be able to teach the transgressors again. And sinners can come to Christ. Right? Sinners, the unbelievers there. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 28. But transgressors and sinners will be crushed together. And those who forsake the Lord will come to an end. There it's judgment. And he's talking about sinners. Well, if, it's, if we're still sinners, that means we could still be uh, crushed together with transgressors. And He forsakes us and we'll come to an end. But we are not called sinners in the Old Testament. Isaiah 13.9 We once were that. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and He will exterminate its sinners from it. There we go again. It's certainly not His people that He will exterminate, but it's the sinners. Matthew 9.13 But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come and they did to him whatever they wished just as written of him. Uh-uh. Did I read? Oh, wrong verse. I was going to say, I knew it was there before. My Bible was moving on me. If I could blame it on the swipe, you know. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Luke 7.37 There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. She was... uh, a bad woman, a sinner, a prostitute is what she was. Romans 5.8 This is what we were. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us when we were sinners. So, that's just a a few verses that talks about that. So, as James addresses sinners here, the context would certainly be ones that need to come to Christ. Now, I think this also behooves Christians, though, because of the seriousness of this, that we would want to pay attention to this too, and that we would want to be sanctified, cleansing in the labor or our everyday walk 
our feet and our hands or spiritually our life our works that we do in it. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So for the, for the word sinner, it's clean. And he also says the double-minded, purify your hearts, it's still the same people. He just amplifies it, doesn't he? And that's a way of writing at that time. And you'll see that here in verse 8 and 9. Um, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sinners, double-minded, cleanse, purify. They are synonyms, aren't they? It's that thought. The, uh, this is the inside here. Remember we said that we are to cleanse our hands, the outward acts, and now he says purify your hearts. It's now on the inside. It's all an inside job anyway, right? And out of the heart comes our activities, our works. So they go hand in hand. It's not that one is first over the other, but he's putting them together here. Uh, purification. It's hagnasate, purify, to purify. Um, and we've kind of looked at that as uh, David um, thought of that in his confession. And he was wanting his heart clean. Psalm 51, verse 10. This is David a great prayer, uh, a prayer of uh, repentance, of asking forgiveness, confession of sin. Create in me a clean heart. There's a word, heart, clean heart. Oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. Lord, I've sinned. You know, restore the joy of my salvation, he's been saying. Give me a clean heart. That's, that's where it's always at. That's what we want, don't we? A heart, clean heart. Inward attitudes, thoughts, motives, desires person on the inside. We need to work on our attitudes, don't we? Just even that attitude. Uh, you might carry a rotten attitude some morning. Get rid of it. And then he says, you double-minded. Who? Like, calls them sinners. How would you like to be called? You sinner. You double-minded. Pretty harsh words. James is serious here. It's a reference to someone who is torn, double-minded. They're, they're torn with conflicting allegiances. You know, they, they want to be a friend of God and they want to be a friend of the world. James has already mentioned that, hasn't he? And so that's what he's doing. He's going all along with what, what he has said here. It refers to one who is two-souled. Two, number two. Um, Daisukos, die. Two, sukos, soul. Two sold. Doubting, instability, Douglas Moo puts forth. Uh, John Bunyan, Tokens Progress, here we go. Mr. Facing Both Ways. 
they really have some interesting names for those characters, don't they? But that hits it right on the head so much. James is unified in his thought. If you go back all the way back to James 1, uh, verse 8. And he says in verse 7, For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded. Same word. Daisukos. He's one who is akarastakos, um, unstable, uh, in, in that word in James 1. Uh, James 3.16 For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Disorder. And so that's a thought there. Um, that word there uh, is talking about uh, akastasia also. So right from James 1 through James 2, James 3, here we are in James 4, and it's a consistent picture of one who is authentic or one who is disgenuine. Someone who's not really real. So it's dealing with practice, isn't it? Um, when the Christian, when he compromises with the world, he's actually what? He's double-minded. He loves God, but at the same time, he, he loves the world. Now, how can you do that? right? How can, how can we do that? I think it's a sure sign of the sense of gravity of sin, uh, of what it does. It, it blunts us as Christians. We see it as like an unbeliever that's double-souled, that's double-minded. But for us, are we double-minded? Well, we become blunted by sin. We don't even see it as sin. We're blind to it. Can that happen? Oh, yeah. That's what we battle with all the time. Anytime we've sinned, that's what's happening. So we want to approach God and have a true longing for Him and for Him to show these things in our lives that are really not so good at all. Because then He will peel back His glory and let us see a little bit of the beauty, a little more of the beauty of who He is, His His whole being. And you see Him clear and you see Him bright. So He says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. People that are unstable. And then he says this. This is not something we concentrate on too much here. We don't go around saying, Hey, I want you to be miserable. <laughs> I mean, if one did that long enough, I'd say, I'm going to be around him. Man, Man he's, just, he's just in a bad mood all the time. You know, it's negative thinking. But there's a time for this to happen. This is all dealing with the seriousness of sin. How can we neglect the message of what sin does? You know, we're already into the sixth command. Cleanse your hands. Number four, purify your hearts. Number five. Number six, be miserable. Be afflicted. Be afflicted. What in the world does that mean? James. (laughs) It means to feel wretched. You ever felt wretched? 
to feel absolutely, totally miserable. Have you ever felt that way? Well, when we come to Christ, it definitely starts with that. Matter of fact, the Gospel does not start with, hey, you can be happy. You want to be happy? You need to feel good. Let me tell you, everything's okay. Just believe in Jesus. And then everything's okay. Well, yeah, we are to trust in Christ, but you're going to leave them with that? Listen, that's not the Gospel, is it? It's not talking about who Christ is and how holy He is and how holy God is and how sinful we are. We have a problem. We have a need. We we need to hear the what kind of news first? The bad news and realize it's bad news. That's the problem with the world. They don't know they're in bad news. That's the problem. It's too easy to figure out. But we as Christians look through these glasses that God has given us and it's clear as the clear day that we've had. A little cloudy right They need to see how miserable they really are. They need to feel miserable. It's not, hey, you need to feel good. Well, we need to say something about where they've offended a holy God. And get a true estimate of one's own sinfulness. They need to see how miserable they are. They need to see that they have shame to lie poreo, it means to be broken and feeling wretched, afflicted. I know this is not an upbeat message here when you hear this kind of stuff, but isn't it good news to know that that bad news is taken care of if you're a Christian? And we need to be reminded that there are people that are miserable. They may think they're really happy. And that's what it was with James. James knew that these people were even laughing on the outside. They really had a deep need and it was for the person of Christ. They needed to see how holy He is and they're not. Romans 3.16 Be afflicted. You need to feel worse before you feel better. When you go to a doctor, you don't want the doctor to say, oh, everything's alright. He goes back there, oh boy, I'll tell you what, I just don't have the heart to tell him. He's got cancer. I'm not going to tell him. That is not the way to operate. I'm afraid that's the message that much of the church is given today. Do we tell them that they need to be in deep penitential sorrow for their sin and how they've affronted a holy God? And you say, well, they'll leave when I say that. Well, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll say, yeah, I know. I know I'm sinful. That's my problem. I'm I'm going to hell. Sometimes you say that. You know what? Now you don't really have to spend a lot of time. They're already there. Take them to the good news. But if they start saying their righteousness, which most people will say, I've been pretty good. At least I, what? Haven't murdered. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't committed adultery. Oh, yeah? Did you ever think about it? Romans 3.16. Okay, let's go through these miserable passages. (laughs) Just to show you that Dennis is not making this up and he's on some kind of hobby horse here and he's on a self-righteous thing and he wants to tell everybody here that they're sinners. I already told you, if you're a Christian, you're not a sinner. Does that make you feel better? (laughs) But the problem is you can say, no, it doesn't because I know I still sin. 
But, but in Romans 3.16, it's addressing it to the unbeliever here. Romans 3.16, destruction and misery are in their paths. Don't you want to tell them? If there's a person standing outside the house, you're in the house, and there's a lion out there, and it's getting ready to attack, don't you want to tell him, get in the house, you're going to get attacked by the tiger. And he says, no, no, it's pretty comfortable out here. Please, you want a jerky man or something, right? You know what's going to happen to him. It's destruction and misery. And if he doesn't come in, he gets eaten up, right? Hmm. So, destruction and misery. Romans seven twenty four. Oh, we sang this song this morning. Romans seven. Remember Romans seven. I do the things I don't want to do and such. Wretched man that I am. After he sees that he's a sinful man, who will set me free from the body of this death? You know what the next verse is. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. I remember the first verse I wrote and it said, Therefore there is now no condemnation. Oh, thank the Lord, I am not condemned through Jesus Christ. Okay? But did you see that? I'm a wretch. Without Christ, I'm a wretch. I really am. I need to be condemned. But if I'm in Christ, I have no condemnation. Great to be reminded of that, isn't it? You know, wonderful. Um, or James 5.1 Come now you rich weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. He's talking to unbelievers there, isn't he? Weep and howl. Your miseries are upon you. Sounds like Old Testament prophet. Oh, Revelation 3.17 I have this one circled just to make sure that I didn't miss this one because sometimes I skip. But we have to read this one. This is to the lukewarm church. Remember the Laodicean church? You remember the, the, this particular church? It's lukewarm. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy. I don't need anything. And I have need of nothing. Right? And you do not know that you are what? Wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know what this church is? This church is the people that are not believers. The lukewarm, he'll spew them out of his mouth. You're neither hot nor cold. You, this is awful. It tastes terrible. Out they go. They're not really real. So, he calls them wealthy and, or wretched and miserable. They thought they were wealthy. Wretched, miserable. So that's the idea of being miserable in our James passage. Are you guys feeling pretty miserable now? <laughs> well, that's not the point, is it? But there is a time and place where we don't laugh. There's a time and place where we are to mourn. Sounds like Ecclesiastes. Pensafete. This is these are related words. It's all dealing with repentance. Deep grief, remorse, despair. Are you getting the idea? This is right. This is not Old Testament here, although it is Old Testament. But this is James in the New Testament. This is the Lord's half brother. 
But he's saying some things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who mourn. That's ones that recognize that they have a need. Deep grief. Grief over sin. It's the heartache. It's the deep grief causing one to mourn. It's repentance. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a true repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. A great section defining repentance. Paul is begging the Corinthians to repent. My, after the first six chapters, he's not even done with them yet, and he says, you need to repent. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Not some kind of, boy, sorry I was caught. If that's the sorry of who? Judas. That's the sorrow of him. That, that uh, is not the kind of sorrow we're talking about. The sorrow that drives you to repentance. It's the will of God. So that you might not suffer loss and anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance. Without regret. Leading to salvation. See, there we go again. This is at that point. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Yeah, the world has some sorrow over things it does. Some of the things, you know, they pick out certain people and they and they pick on them and everybody else there should be picked on too because they're just as bad. But they like to take one person and put it all over the news and all the entertainment tonight and all over the media. And it's a, and we know, yeah, that person did that and, and, and hey, maybe they deserve that. But the very same person that's probably reporting that is done the same thing you know or in that industry it goes on you know you think of the financial institute certain people have been singled out but the whole ball game is corrupt real estate government all the politics almost all of it's corrupt it's it's rusting and it's, and it's gone down to the part where there's hardly anything that's you can even tell justice system the courts everybody's bought out for the most part unless you have a Christian there and following God's law these people want for whatever they can get out of it it's for themselves it's about themselves right. Repentance. Is he saying Christians shouldn't laugh? Not at all. Is he saying Christians shouldn't enjoy life? No. Matter of fact, we are the ones to have the biggest reason to really enjoy life. How about a smile? Should Christians maybe not smile? Oh, you guys better not start putting sour faces on yourselves. I mean, we, we are, we're commanded to rejoice. We're commanded to do that. And we should show smiles because we have every reason to do that. He's using language of repentance here. What happens when you see your sin? What happens when you see your sin and you've hurt someone else? <clears throat> what do you do? You mourn over that, don't you? Say, boy, I goofed up there. That's, that was really bad what I said. It's really bad what I thought. That's, that's... And you mourn. You've hurt somebody. Turn your joy to gloom for the moment. There is a time to weep. 
It's a language of repentance. Uh, let's turn to Ecclesiastes 3. Okay, here we go. I'm going to wait for Tuesday night. <clears throat> Verse 4. He's talking about appointed times. God appoints every time. That's the secret of, of what this is. God is in total control. He appoints it all. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There we go. It's my little teaser, teaser commercial. There's a time. There's a time for these things. And sometimes there's a time that it's not time to laugh at all. You ever heard of anybody laugh whenever it was really serious and they didn't get it and they thought it was a joke and it was not? Mm. Ooh, that wasn't the time to do that. Or when people should be laughing and people, oh, feeling real bad. You know, when you're when you're at a time whenever, you know, people are joyful and laughing and stuff, and you see somebody over in the corner weeping, you go, what's wrong there, right? They should be laughing. <laughs> Francis Fuller. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you if it's okay to read a paragraph here. <clears throat> I don't even know Francis Fuller, but it's a great quote. Anybody here heard of Francis Fuller? Okay, this is new. To repent is to accuse and condemn ourselves. To charge upon ourselves the desert of hell. To take part with God against ourselves. I like that line right there. That's confession. Taking part with God. To say the same thing. Confess. Hamalagel. To take part with God against ourselves and to justify Him in all that He does against us. To be ashamed and confounded for our sins. To have ever them before our eyes and at all times upon our hearts that we may be in daily sorrow for them. To part with our right hands and eyes. Cut off your hand, right? Pluck out your eyes, Jesus said. That is, with those pleasurable sins which have been as dear to us as our lives so as never to have to do with them more and to hate them so as destroy them as things which by nature we wholly uh, are disinclined to. For we naturally love and think well of ourselves. We hide our deformities. We lessen and excuse our faults. We indulge ourselves in the things that please us. Are mad upon our lust and follow them, though to our own destruction. Well said, Francis. George Whitfield made a statement on revival. Whitfield, back in the 1700s, the Great Awakening. Oh, what a golden time that was. Every man by his own natural will hates God. But when he's turned to the Lord by repentance, then his will is changed. Just like 2 Corinthians 7 we read earlier. Then his conscience now hardened and benumbed shall be quickened and weakened. Then his hard heart shall be melted and his unruly affections shall be crucified. Thus by that repentance the whole soul will be changed. He will have new inclinations, new desires, and new habits. That's for the one who is not a believer who needs to repent for his salvation. God grants that. For a Christian, it's an ongoing repentance though too, isn't it? What's the next word? Be miserable. Mourn. 
weep. What's the next one? Okay, misery is recognizing our state. We're in a miserable condition. Now, how do we see that visibly? Well, mourning is how the spirit responds. It's the response of this. Weeping is how the body actually responds. It cries. It sheds tears. Right? Shedding tears. Inner sorrow. Right in here? Works to the outside sometimes. What did Peter do whenever he had denied the Lord three times? He wept. He wept. That's a gift from God. Tears are a gift. From God. Repentance is a gift from God to release the aching heart. What's on the inside comes on the outside. Sometimes you might have tears that really are not seen. Most often, that I have to admit, I, I I don't usually shed tears. It's not that I haven't done it, but I I go to funerals and other times. It's not that I don't feel for the family and the people and it's to, it's the near and dear people. But um, there's a weeping in here, so there's a there's still a weeping. So you might be not the kind of crier, and eventually everybody cries somewhere along the line. You may not make a habit of it, but uh, there's a time for tears, aren't there? Does Ecclesiastes say that too? Isaiah twenty two twelve. Therefore, now this is kind of a this is the valley of vision here, <laughs> and this is about judgment on on his people. Therefore, in that day, the Lord God of hosts called you to weeping, to wailing, to shaving the head and to wearing sackcloth. Really, this is to all the nations, really. But He calls them to weeping, to wailing, sackcloth, ashes. What's that about? Repentance. The judgment that has come. He says, instead there is gaiety and gladness. You're laughing when you should be crying and mourning. says that's a problem. You don't take it seriously. Friends of the world. The fact of these things, mourning and gloom is found here. Um, your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom, mourning and gloom. As we go through this command here, you people that are living it up in the world, you need to see that you are friends of the world and you're hostile to God. You need to see that you're an enemy and you need to see the situation you're in and to mourn over that. Laughter, as the word is, gelas. It's only here in the Bible this one time, this word here. It's a leisure laughter of men indulging in their desires and in their pleasures and all their laughter has nothing to do about God's world and who He is. It's people who have no thought to God. They're not serious to God. They have no thought to life. They have no thought to death. They have no thought to sin, no thought to judgment. They just go on in this world and they, you know, they're looking for the next laugh, the next party. They turn 
They need to turn their laughter into what? Into mourning. Because if they continue to keep on laughing, they'll laugh themselves right into hell. They need to see their sin. They need to see how heavy they really are. Uh, There should be a gloominess. There should be a shame. There should be a sorrow. Hanging the face in shame of how they offend the great God. And now we come to verse 10. And this is the second piece of bread to the sandwich. You remember when we started off with this? Back in verse 6, this is what James did. He wrapped this up in a neat little package or in a sandwich. Verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. And folks, this is where we're heading. Boy, we're going we're gonna to wind up out of here today in great, tremendous joy. Because look at this. He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud. Who is that? The proud is the sinner. The proud is the double-minded. He's opposed to them. They're on the wrong side. How would you like to be fighting God and Him opposed to you? How would you like that? I would be repenting right now if I, if I were an enemy. But gives grace to the humble. And that's where all this started. When we went in to the Ten Commandments to humility. It starts with submitting to God, right? And he says, be humble. The only way you submit to God is when you come humbly before Him. Doesn't this make sense how James put this together? I think this James is a tremendous writer. What do you think, Nondor? <laughs> Nondor likes to write. i got a feeling you appreciate the way that different books in the Bible, they're all saying the same thing. They're pointing to Christ. And at the same time, they're different personalities that bring out certain things. I don't know about having James for 66 books, but he's good for one book. Maybe we need to read a little bit more of this though, right? But I'm one who likes to stick in the grace of God. And God never leaves us hanging and James is not going to leave us hanging either. Because it started with that and he ends this section up with this. And then he'll change to a new topic next week, folks. Our Ten Commandments series is going to be over. Is Is this the third week? Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. There it is. Well, I think that says it all. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. Presence. He's there. He's here. <laughs> he knows. He knows us. He knows every ounce of our being. Thank you, Lord. Amen. He's with us. And a great promise that He finishes with. And He will exalt you. If you are His, He will exalt you. Um, humble is tapana'a. To follow. To make low. Lowly following after Him, putting yourself down in the presence of the Lord, submitting to Him, putting yourself in the proper place after He brings you to the depths. Do you see what James has done? He's brought the reader to low depths. I think he's writing like uh, the writer in the Valley of Vision, that book. I think he's writing like... um, the Old Testament prophets, to wake them up, to shake them, because they're not taking it seriously. And then he says this, you humble yourself, 
You go down to the depths. When you're a Christian, then you're in sanctification. When you've reached the hour of despair, you look up. You you take the key. You open up the key to the Word of God. When we've come to the end of ourselves, at salvation, we came to the end of ourselves because we realized that there's nothing I can do. I, I give up, God. I surrender, God, right? It's okay. That's where I want you. So I can't I can't take the self righteous. I can take the one who realizes he's a sinner, realizes he's poor in spirit, right? James, I think, knew the Sermon on the Mount quite frequently that his brother wrote. Actually spoke, I mean. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I guess, wrote it through him, Matthew. When we find the end of ourselves, we actually find our victory in Christ. It's a dire battle, isn't it? It's a mean battle. But we know He's here. We know that He is pure. We know He is absolutely righteous. He is perfect. He's just. He is so holy. He's majestic. He's sovereign. Man, when you start taking a look like that, we become humbled in the light of who He is. Believers, I think want to heed these warnings because we know what's going to happen to the unbeliever. We know what would have happened had we remained in that condition. But even for believers, it means that, yeah, He does a discipline on us even now, but it's for our good. But what He's saying, if you humble yourself, I'm going to exalt you. What does that mean? He's going to lift us up. Well, I think we're lifted by saving grace right off the bat. I think we've already been lifted up. I think we are being exalted in that sense, in sanctification, ultimately to glorification. It's pointing to something, isn't it? It's always looking to that. Every message that we give, it's almost always, you look at the cross, you look at your past, you look at your present, and you look on the future of where this is all going. So what does it bring to us? Well, do I have to remind you of Ephesians 1? You want to see some exaltation there? And and we must read that. And, and we're going to close here real quick. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ. Just as He chose us in Him when? Before the foundation of the world. Why? That we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption into His family as sons through Jesus Christ Himself. It gets better. According to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved Christ. In Him we have redemption. We've been bought and paid for. Through His blood. The forgiveness of trespasses. No condemnation. According to the riches of His grace. Is this rewarding? Which He lavished on us. He didn't just say, Hey, take a little morsel there, Dennis. (laughs) Here, live on that for eternity. 
in all wisdom and insight He made known to us. He lets us know about this. He could have said, you know, I'm going to bless Him and everything. I'm not going to tell Him a thing about it. I'm not going to tell them anything. I'm not going to give them promises. They just have to believe in me and that's it. I'm not going to tell them about the eternal state and everything, or the kingdom, or all the things that he's got. No, no, no. Just believe me. No, he says, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Something that was not revealed before and now is. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Do you say anything about what you did here? (laughs) With a view to administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, pointing all the way to where it's going, in the heavens and things on the earth, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, predetermined, according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will to the end that we who to the praise of His glory in Him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed. Done deal. In Him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, down payment, guarantee who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view here we go to the redemption the buying out of God's own possession to the praise of His glory we are owned by Him we are possessed by God did you see the blessings in this and we say blessed are you God my, look in chapter 2, verse 6. Here we go. This is an exaltation. Right now, when you came to Christ, you were exalted. Look at this. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are in the heavenlies. Colossians says that too, doesn't it? We've been seated with Christ. You may not feel it, but that's the truth. We are, If we're in Christ, somehow, mysteriously, we are in Christ and exalted in that sense. But ultimately, there's a glorification where we will see Him. Is that joyous? Are we leaving here on a joyous tone? Okay, what do we make of this? What's our application? After all this, after all the doctrine, we have about 60 seconds of application. But all this has been application. I think what it does to me, it overwhelms me with the commands that says do. I'm overwhelmed. Mourn. Weep. Be sorrowful. Purify. Cleanse. Wow, I, I, I really can't. Do, I, I'm crushed. I'm crushed by these words because he's already talked about friends of the world. There are things out there in the world that that still pull me. I don't 
one that sometimes I don't recognize it. That's the problem. If I really draw near to God, He, he will show me though by His Spirit. All of us are spiritual adulteresses at heart. He's talked about spiritual adultery. Remember in, in this context? Talking about believers now. We break these commands. We break all the Ten Commandments as Christians. We break them. We do have one who kept them all. We're, we're hypocrites at heart. James coming, comes in and just exposes our sin and lays it bare. The seriousness of sin. And we are to deal with it. And he says, humble yourselves. That's how you do it. God gives us what we need. We can't do it. After he said to do it, we can't. And all you're do- what you need to do is you draw near to him, you come in humbly, and all of a sudden, these things now are taken care of. We need grace. We need to see that our sins are forgiven. I announce to the church here today, all you believers, your sins have been cast away. Your sins are taken. We have the authority to do that because of the authority of the Word of God. We can say that. We're reckoned as righteous. We can say grace has been given to sinners. What we want to do is draw near, draw nigh, humble ourselves, draw near to the Creator, Redeemer. We're to have a proper reverence and an awe for this holy God. Realize we can freely enter into God's presence any time we want. Go often. He's given us everything that we've ever needed. All we need to do is what? Humble ourselves. So if you forget these commands, go back over and turn your Bible to James or just say, oh, I'm to humble myself. And that starts taking care of it. Humble yourselves. Draw near to God and we will receive grace. What did that one verse say in verse 6? A greater grace. More grace than what sin can ever do. Let's pray. Father, we want to come humbly before You. We recognize our sin. Or help us to recognize our sin. Purge it from us. Cut it off. Clean us. Help us to have pure hearts. More and more. We will never have that perfectly until You come back. We know that. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to be seen as that way outwardly because inwardly the change is happening. And may we remember two words. Grace. Glory. It's all by You. For You. Thank You that we have learned a little bit more about Your nature and Your character and what You do inside of us. If we paid attention to Your Word this morning, Your Holy Spirit is doing a work right now on us. And we should be changed as we walk out of here. Not the same person that we were when we came here today, but changed just a little bit more as we have thought on You. And now, Lord, that our hearts would be prepared to receive your means of grace from the table of grace as we commune with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. One word on, on communion. We know it's all for believers. I just want to say something. I don't want to be long-winded.
as thinking everything goes back to the cross. When you look at the cross, you see Christ in the most clearest way that you possibly can. We have the Word of God and we know that that's where everything is at. Yet, And the cross is the focus of it. It's in the middle. It is the heart of the Gospel. And the way that you start seeing Christ more clearly is when you look at the cross, you see every attribute of God in a more clear way. It's like taking the sunglasses off and now just seeing it the way that it is. You see the wrath of God as it's unleashed on His Son. You see the holiness of God and that He demands perfection. At the cross, this is where you see the best part of holiness. You see the love of God. You see the grace of God. You see the mercy of God. Right? When you look at the cross, you see that he is, He's the omnipresent one. That He's omniscient. All of the, He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful as He resurrected from the grave. The kindness of God is seen there. Everything that you can think about God is seen in the most clearest way at the cross. This and this, these little elements, which are just that, just physical from the earth, at the same time they're pointing to the cross. What He did at the cross as He shed His blood and He died violently, He did it for us. Substitutionary atonement is for us. For you. We get the privilege this morning of putting it on display in a visible way so that we just don't take this for granted when we come up here and take these, but we're concentrating on this great God and we're humbling ourselves. We're drawing near to God together and it honors Him because He told us to do it.
Father, we come humbly before You. We're at the throne of God. And You invite us in. You invite us in constantly. You get great joy. You take great pleasure in whenever Your children come to You and just talk to You. We have communion with You on a daily basis and now we come together representing as a group that we have communion together. One day You will take it with us. But even now we know we've been lifted up into the heavens and You are enjoying us. You sing over us. I don't know how that works, Lord, but thank You so much for putting us into quite the position. We come confessing our sins and realizing that we offend Your holiness when we do that. At the same time, thank You for cleansing us and that we would regret our sins so much that we would cut them off. By Your Spirit, we have the power to do that. Thank You for Your grace, Your mercy, Your love. In Jesus' name, we take these. God's people say Amen. 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 Announcements. Announcements. Um, as this guy comes around and, and serves us, thank you very much for doing that. Um, I think of Ashton and Abel. I'm very special to us. And uh, I think we're, we're going to have an addition here before too long. And uh, Rebecca brought it up um, in the last uh, week or two. About, and it should have been in the bulletin this week. I'm sorry, I'll put it in next week. But on the 21st, that's two weeks away, uh, there will be a shower for um, Ashton and Avell. And uh, so, a baby shower. And that will be after the, our worship time out in the foyer or in the kitchen, the dining room, however we call it. And so, uh, what what do we just? Is it a bring your own thing, right? Just kind of a uh, potluck, whatever. Okay. Uh, well, that's hard for me to say. Reform theology, luck. What did you say, Rebecca? I'm sorry. She's got a list of. Oh, good. Good. So do we need that posted somewhere or reproduce it and, and put it out on cards if somebody wants to take table. it? We'll sit that out by the table there by the door. Okay. We'll do both. I'll try to remember next week to put that in the bulletin and have it out on the table as you walk through. Thank you for kind of getting that together there, Rebecca. appreciate that. But that's that's special. And so that sounds like a really enjoyable time to have. Is it Pot Providence? Pot Providence, yeah. Great mark. Very good. Great mark. Yeah, there you go.
Before uh, they left, Luke and his wife mentioned that uh, his legs are going, were really hurt today. That's why they left. They covet your prayer. They, uh, they're going through quite a thing. Uh, their son has a constant headache that never goes away. He had that concussion playing football, and I guess it's just getting worse and worse. And it's constant. never goes away. He has some uh, medication that he's taking that's supposed to, it's like, $4,000 a pop. But anyway, uh, yeah, we'll keep those. Uh, yeah, um, Abel's mother, uh, again, Michelle. Fan, Michelle, right? Michelle. Gr- great to have you. Mother of Abel, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try to remember Michelle, Thanks. right? <laughs> Very good. Yeah, and that'll keep him also humble, though. <laughs> She's your mother. <laughs> you take care of her, Abel. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Right. Does he do good? Does he do all right? All right. He's a wonderful young man. Anyway. Glad to have you. No, you guys don't know that all that I've known his whole life. He's probably a wonderful young man. Did God do a great work on him? Right. God has changed him in many ways. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Um, very much. Is there anything else? I won't be here next Sunday. I'm going to be on the road. 14. Down to, down to Annie's and back. So. Long, long trip. My co-driver backed out on me, so I'm driving her alone. Over a thousand miles. A thousand miles one way. Oh, yes, Julia, thank you for doing that work up there. Appreciate it. Hey, if that's not there, we're going to have people singing today. That's us. Zach is in Brandon. Oh, he's having a fun time. Oh, he's having fun. Oh, he stole our verses today. He said, Dad, i got to go.
before he went over to the UK. Uh, like during all his gigging days with other bands and stuff. Wonder who he got to carry it. I looked online huh? at all the forums about that that amp and everything. And they're like, talk? Yeah, that's 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 yeah, you do. Everybody talks about yeah, it. Yeah, that's all that that's all they mention. How heavy it is. I'm like, how it is. It's not about that. That's just a... Yeah, but... I mean, I don't know. We've already covered... If you gig regularly, you might see a little bit. Or you can study... If I gig regularly, I'd be so happy that I had something like that. Everything in one, you don't need anything. Well, we used to have a joke what I've been doing. I wouldn't worry too much. You can dance about Monday. But that's an old guy. Playing, when we play our gigs, that's the fun part. Then the pay that we get. Is actually well, for the load in, load out. Yeah, I tell, I tell people. I wouldn't. The roadie, roadie, roadie stuff. This is the pain part of the I job. I know, but I, I need to know what I'm going to talk yeah. about because I have no idea. This is what we really get paid for. Yeah, you're still doing Tesla, right? Right, yeah. and I understand that, but. It's pretty cool. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really well, like, so. not this weekend, but last weekend, they did a whole few on Discovery Channel. Oh, really? Well, Lightning. No, to kind of not mess myself yeah. up by doing something wrong. Yeah, you love to be careful. And it was called something. Alternating current. That's the question. Or it was A, B, C, or D, and I picked the wrong one. Other than that, I don't know. <laughs> it was just weird. Yeah, weird sounding. Well, Dad's piano, I think, was yeah, way, way too loud. loud. It was louder than your voice. Yeah. And some, some spots, it was way too loud. It was like, oh, my Jesus. <laughs> 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 I don't think it's getting forgetful, maybe. Getting deaf, too. But this is what he does, the, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's but like, you need to... I think he will, you know. I think he's going to make it. Because I think people are 
if people would realize Love you guys. that everyone else is going for you. Let me do I'm riding with you, I guess. Unless you're not going, like, did you want to come out? Okay, Dad. <laughs> you guys. Go home. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like they well, no one on dinner. 
there's a gym class, and their gym class, they were white shorts. And he got in a hurry in between class, so gym class was another class yesterday. And he got in a hurry, and he ran down the locker room, and he wanted her to get out and shoot the back, yeah. everybody takes over the court, and he forgot to his white gym shorts on.